My name is August McLaughlin, and I've been contemplating girl boners for years. It's time for Girl Boner Radio with August McLaughlin, a spicy blend of personal stories, in-depth reporting, and inspiration. Girl Boner is where good girls go for sexual empowerment. Listen in as August McLaughlin, award-winning health and sexuality writer, explores female sexual pleasure like no one else. She's the big sister slash girlfriend you've always wanted, and she loves to talk sex. Only on Global Voice Broadcasting. The most fundamental aggression to ourselves, the most fundamental harm we can do to ourselves, is to remain ignorant by not having the courage and the respect to look at ourselves honestly and gently, Pema Chodron, uh, when things fall apart. Welcome back to Girl Boner Radio, everyone. I'm your host, August McLaughlin, and I'm so in love with that quote and the book it came from and the author, thanks to a gift from a friend. You know those times when something happens, something not fun, maybe something painful or unexpected, and although it really sucks to go through it, it also brings light to the sort of cracks you didn't even know you had in your life. It's it's that whole idea of life throwing you a curveball. All this stored up vulnerability starts swirling around, and you might feel stuck or wounded or confused, but without that breaking point happening, we might not grow in the ways that we need to. Pain, fear, confusion, loss, difficult epiphanies, they can all be brutal, but also really generous in what they allow us. You know, ways and opportunities to learn and grow, whether it's in our personal lives, our sex lives, our careers, you know, all of it. I've gone through something like that recently, and I'm sure many of you have as well. One thing Girl Boner has taught me is that we all have stories. We all grow through dark times. We all experience that sense of brokenness and When one area of our lives feels off kilter, the rest feels the effects too, right? It's also connected. It's especially true, I think, in our intimate lives, but luckily the reverse is also true. When we heal and grow in one way, our full selves benefit. Our minds, souls, bodies, and yes, our girl boners. They're just all very connected, not only by our current circumstances, but by our worldviews, our beliefs, and our life experiences. Today we have a wonderful expert in the house to explore somewhat this concept of mind-body connectedness when it comes to our health and our sexuality. Dr. Shannon Chavez is a nationally recognized expert, therapist, and educator specializing in all things sexuality. She's also a national speaker on women's sexual health and has been featured on major news, radio, and TV programs, as well as publications such as Cosmopolitan, Prevention, Women's Health, Latino perspectives and self magazine she's also written a guide for clinicians on the treatment of love addiction through the use of attachment oriented psychodynamic therapy which sounds so fascinating thank you so much for joining me today how are you doing I'm doing great it's so good to be here I love what the show is about and I can't wait to talk about women's sexual health and girl boners beautiful <laughs> thank you so much I I love that your approach is mind body would you articulate kind of what does that mean to you? Sure. To me, it means that our sexuality is so much more than what our physical bodies are doing. So much of it is our values, our beliefs, these messages we've received around sex that have been with us maybe our whole lives or new messages that are coming up at different stages or ages of our life. 
but it affects how our body functions, how we feel in our bodies. And so my mind-body approach is about connecting all these parts, integrating them, allowing a person or a couple to start to uh, live in their bodies and to recognize what their body's communicating or what their mind is communicating to their body because it's an important relationship and the message can go either way. Beautiful. And it can be very confusing when you have these sort of effects and you're not sure where it comes from or there's a lot of sometimes crossover. Is it is it the sex life that's causing the emotional issue? Is it the emotional issue that's causing sexual issues and all of that? Where does the process start when someone comes to you with concerns? How do you start to figure out what the root cause is? We usually start with uh, what's going on in their mind. There's a lot of concerns. Maybe they've Googled it or someone said you have a sexual issue. And a lot of the times it's normalizing how each and every one of us has these issues. So a lot of clients say, am I normal? Am I the only one dealing with this issue in my body? Or that I don't have a desire to have sex or I feel broken in my sexuality. So a lot of it's normalizing and starting by creating a really trusting, safe environment. Because I realized in the mind part of sexuality, a lot of these thoughts have never been revealed. Individuals may have never spoken about them, or it's so shame-inducing that they keep them to themselves. So a lot of it is creating that safety to say, what is going on in your mind? How are you thinking about your sexuality? What about your sexuality makes you feel abnormal, if that's even real? It's so empowering to speak about that. I mean, when I remember the first time I spoke about sexuality and my own sexuality, it's incredible how much having that permission, you know, to, to freely express and to have that safe space. That's so beautiful. What are some of the more common concerns that people come to you with and say, hey, this is happening. Is this normal? Sure, absolutely. Uh, a lot of body image issues around sexuality. So either feeling not sexy enough, and there's so many of these ideals around what makes a body sexual. And if an individual doesn't feel like they're meeting those ideals, they start to feel very down and disconnect from their relationship, from their body. Uh, I'm experiencing a lot of uneven desire in coupleships, so high desire, low desire, couples are across the board with desire issues and they feel very broken around that. A lot of issues around functioning, so uh, lack of response, lack of arousal, just not feeling passion or pleasure in sex and it feeling more like work or tension or stress. So those are common issues that I feel that most people are coming in with and feeling very stuck in their life around. Yeah, absolutely. From a body image perspective, what what does that work feel like for somebody? You know, when because it's it's so interesting as you said sex and sexuality is so much more than our body and we get these messages from society and all these different influences that tell us we're supposed to look a certain way to be and feel sexy. What do you recommend to somebody who's just feeling, you know, we can know that rationally. I think most of us realize beauty is really on the inside and we can know these kinds of, you know, these Facebook memes and these ideas that it's, we should just love ourselves how we are. But actually implementing that in life can be hard. Right. Easier said than done, right? And I think a lot of it is I I tell people that the most important relationship you have in life is the one with your body. It's your longest relationship. And like any relationship, it changes and it goes through difficulties and conflicts. And so starting to communicate with your body in 
uh, a way that feels comfortable touching your own body and normalizing who you are in your body in that it's very different from other bodies and no body, no two bodies are alike. So I think especially as women, we see these messages of highly sexualized women and, and sexy bodies and we think, well, that's the norm. That's what women should look like. And so a lot of what we do is some education around not everybody looks like that. And, you know, it's important to understand that there's a lot of different body ideals, and mm. let's find what your ideal is. So I do a lot of reflection work and really getting women to own their bodies in that they they love parts of themselves as a whole as well. So I, finding parts of themselves that they love and then looking at their bodies as a whole rather than these parts and pieces that they want to change or what's not right about the body, but bringing in the pieces that they're proud of and that they feel really comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I love that you mentioned touching yourself, both from a masturbation standpoint and figuring out what brings you pleasure, but then also really connecting with your whole body. You know, I remember feeling for the first time when I would I would try to put lotion on in a way that was loving, you know, which I kind of giggled at myself at the time because I it felt a little bit silly to be doing these affirmations as I was doing it. But it actually felt really beautiful, too, to actually think about, you know, caring for my body instead of, uh, you know, picking it apart and trying to change certain things and all of that. Yeah, I think that's really important. Absolutely. And libido differences we've talked about um, yes. quite a bit. And they, they those do <clears throat> arise quite a lot. And I think within every partnership, you know, one person, it, it's just so rare probably to be like, we have the exact same libido throughout the entire relationship. Uh, and there does seem to be a lot of shame around that, too. So how do you begin to approach that within a within a couple if you're feeling like you're on either side, like you just feel like you're mismatched? Right. The first thing I do is teach that libido is not just about sexual energy. Libido is in everything that we do. And you may have libido in your life and certain things that you're motivated towards. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's that vacation coming up. But to use that as an awareness of where you, what fires you up, what's rewarding in your life. And so usually it's just uh, about creating movement in a, a couple or individual's life around where libido is and not feeling like libido is lost or that it's just non-existent. It just has to move into a sexual space with the partner. And there may be things that are blocking libido, such as communication or shame or feeling like your partner is going to judge you or not accept you if you don't have the same needs that they have. So that's a big piece. And I always teach, too, that libido is constantly in flow, like any energy. It's never going to be the same. So when couples come in and say, I want to have the same libido as my partner and we're trying to create this match of libido, I say that's actually an impossible task. And you know, women are not always the low libido partner. It's going to change and ebb and flow, and it's about being able to talk about those changes and have really good communication along the way because with those changes, your needs are going to change as well. Yeah, really, really good point. I love that. And we had a guest on recently, Pam Costa, who I loved what she said about she had she was starting to develop or experience low libido after it, it was a gradual decline after she had kids and she started to notice that it wasn't just libido in in the bedroom in the context of sex but she wasn't paying attention to arousal in her life and I loved that concept because I know for myself and for many people I, I speak to 
when they feel turned on in life, you know, not that we need to be always like, woohoo, turned on, and we're going to have our ups and downs, but to have, to allow ourselves to have pleasure and to allow ourselves to, because it, it seems like there are more factors that stand in the way for women, you know, the pressure to put other people first and to take care of other people, or whether it's stress or depression issues or anxiety and all of that stuff. That's, that's really, really huge. Yeah, exactly, because we're putting all this energy out, and we're natural nurturers, so we're not allowing it to come back in in whatever form. And a lot of it starts with self-care, which a lot of women need permission around as well to take care of yourself or to take that vacation or a massage or go get your nails and toes done. Something simple like that can create a state of turn-on and a motivation towards feeling more attuned with what you want and what you need and feeling feeling good about yourself. Yes, yes. I love that you mentioned massage because I actually received a wonderful question from a listener named Delia. She wrote this, I'm 28 and until recently only had very small and fairly infrequent orgasms, always with a partner. I almost never masturbate. And I was basically okay with that. But recently I've been getting massages for a sports injury and I'm embarrassed to say that I've come during them. What is up with that? It's usually when the very attractive kind man with firm hands (laughs) is rubbing my lower back or hips. They're some of the best orgasms I've ever had. And I have to work hard to hide what's happening, though, honestly, I think he knows. I don't want to tell my boyfriend because awkward, but I also want to know how to get that same kind of pleasure with him. And I keep wanting more massage appointments. Ha ha ha. Any suggestions, Delia, with backgasms? I love this question and I'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, I did ask our resident expert, Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com to weigh in and here's what she had to say. Dahlia, thanks so much for this question. Um, because you're definitely not alone. You know, uh, a number of women and men have had orgasms when even they're not receiving any direct uh, genital stimulation. So, you know, this is no happy ending. This is a professional therapeutic massage. But what happens is, if you think about it, um, the all the conditions are in place, essentially for arousal. You know, the first and foremost is that of relaxation. And I don't know about you, but sort of where else are you more relaxed than on a massage table in the hands of sort of a trusted expert? So we have the relaxation, check. We also have that sense of safety, check. And you're being attended to, which for most of us is part of receiving pleasure, check. And in the moment, I think you're letting your body do what your body and your nervous system does because you're not overthinking it. You're not allowing your thoughts. Like with your boyfriend, again, you've had sort of more muted orgasms or it doesn't happen. And there might be sort of a history of frustration or disappointment. And so I call that sort of the spectating or the intrusive thoughts. Chances are you're not expecting it and you're looking for it. And all you're thinking is getting in the way and inhibiting your body's natural reflexes. Um, because the body and the nervous system has um, sort of what we call those tipping points. They're sort of trigger points for the inevitabil- inevitability of orgasm. And, you know, this is true for a number of uh, individuals that you know there's specific parts of the spine and the lower back muscles that when they get stimulated there's sort of uh, a release of energy as well as blood flow to sort of the small intestines the bladder and all the sexual organs and i think that you know ultimately the nervous system is sort of a super complicated and supercharged highway and there's sort of links to all parts of the body that 
you know, it's almost like, huh, how can you touch this part of my back and I can feel it in my toe or I'm feeling it uh, in my genitals. Um, but the part, you know, I want you to know is most massage therapists are aware that this is a relaxation experience and that there are these reflexes in the body. So, you know, I don't think you need to be embarrassed. Um, but I also think that there's a part of you that's curious huh, and how might I get that kind of pleasure with your, your boyfriend? Um, and I think that that's where the true possibilities begin. Um, because so often in relationship, we are focused essentially almost exclusively on the genitals. Um, and we sort of rush to get there and we don't really build arousal. Again, in, in a massage, it's you know, over 30 or 45 minutes, it's extended relaxation. And it allows the body to really sort of build up a sense of arousal. And so um, one thing I would just have you notice, you know, what is the kind of stroke? Is it circular? Is it, you know, sort of on the sacrum? Or is it a part of your spine? Because again, we all have sort of different trigger points. Um, and that allow for sort of natural nerve events. So, you know, just for yourself, be curious about what that technique is, because then maybe you can um, sort of do what we call sensate focus or sensual touch or massage, where first you might massage your boyfriend and sort of focus and sort of duplicate that stimulation, which may or may not work for him, but then you could say, hmm, you know, would you mind trying that technique on me? Um, and just sort of see if you can sort of coach or guide him or see what might come up in the moment. And as I say it, it's really important to let things just sort of occur naturally and don't overthink it or look for it because as soon as you start looking for something, you already are inhibiting it. So, you know, just sort of leave it sort of open-ended and, um, you know, in terms of the kinds of strokes or the areas of your body or back that are, you know, and again, use your um, voice, like, mm, ah, like really let them know where you want them to linger and stay longer or a little more pressure. I think non-verbally communicating the moment will help him be guided um, to potentially duplicating that same sensation. And the other thing I would say is definitely check out uh, tantric energy healing because, you know, I do think that sexual energy is uh, both in terms of breath work and, again, uh, understanding the nervous system and the what are sort of your arousal what most turns you on is a huge opportunity for healing in the body um, as well as pleasure with your partner so uh, definitely check out tantric energy healing and you know as i always say just be curious and play focus on sensuality focus on sensation and not on endpoint orgasm because it's what we look for that we inhibit so again in the massage you know it was sort of the unexpected event so i'm interested to hear how it goes but i think you have um, a new key to sort of explore more pleasure in your body and with your boyfriend and i think that's awesome can't wait to hear how it goes Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. Dolly, I hope that was helpful. I loved what Dr. Megan had to say about communicating. You know, there's so many ways to communicate, and Dahlia had mentioned she feels awkward mentioning this, and that you can also communicate through sound and through demonstrating what feels good to you. And, and also seeing this, I heard in the email that there was some shame around this, that she was embarrassed, and I think it's really wonderful to hear that you know this could be really an opportunity to get that pleasure that she's desiring and and all of that would you have anything to add to that 
Sure, I think it's a great opportunity to bring it to a partner and say, you know, I'm learning these new areas on my body that are erogenous or sensual play or sensual pleasure really helps me relax and get out of my head and into my body. And that's what I need for uh, our connection and, and for intimacy together. So I think it can be a great opportunity. Yeah. And the skin's our biggest organ. So touch is such a great way to explore and discover areas of your sexuality. And uh, I think for women especially, it allows you to not have to worry about the genitals or all these areas of focus that are more sexual and discover parts of your body that may be responsive to touch and sensation in a way that you may never know. Yeah, absolutely. These different trigger points. It sounds to me, I, I think we should all experience, as you were saying, really know our whole bodies, you know, and to because we do we have I've heard from women who orgasm while riding a bike or you know these different ways that are so unexpected and as she mentioned you know when it's when we take the pressure off and we're not thinking oh I don't know if this is going to work and you're wondering if the if your partner is is enjoying themselves and all of that to really relax as you were saying and just kind of let it happen. I think that's that's really amazing. Do you find that relaxation is um, one of the kind of challenge issues for a lot of people? I think it is because especially around sex, we have a lot of goals in mind or we're always looking for the outcome. So it's very difficult to stay present. And I always tell my couples that an orgasm is just a side effect of great pleasure. So if you're focusing on that, you're going to take away from everything that's happening happening in the meantime. And when you relax, you let go. And when you let go, you allow these waves of pleasure to go throughout your body. So there's a lot of opportunity for different types of orgasm, which can be, you know, really exciting and, uh, you know, uh, exciting for couples and individuals to discover on their own. Yeah, I love what you said about orgasm being a side effect, you know, of pleasure, because we are really in this performance-focused culture where it's like whether we're, we're in solo play or with a partner, it's like the finish line, you know, and there's this huge pressure and orgasms are amazing and wonderful and yay, you know, but but really knowing uh, that we can have pleasure in these different ways and, and observing and, and all of that. We were talking a little bit earlier about sleep and I think that seems to be another issue for a lot of people. I've read that sleep loss and sleep deficiency is a leading cause of of libido loss and not everybody is able to you know get that seven eight hours so do you have any suggestions for people who are struggling with exhaustion absolutely most of my clients are struggling with exhaustion or a lack of time but what I always tell them, it may be important to unplug. And what I usually recommend is unplugging from all electronic devices at least two to three hours before bed. I get a lot of, uh, you know, um, resistance. resistance from that. <laughs> but it's really important. We're, we're so constantly in stimulation with everything that we do. And it makes it really hard to fall asleep at night. Another good thing is having really uh, set ritualistic sleep rituals. So uh, getting ready for bed and maybe making a nice hot cup of tea and avoiding things like watching TV or looking at your laptop, uh, maybe listening to music. Music is an underrated, very helpful way to get into a more relaxed and sleepy mode. I love that. Yeah, music is very powerful. And it's interesting, the 
the dependence that we feel with electronics, but I think it's also freeing. I remember I went on a cruise uh, a couple years ago, and when you can't, I mean, there's no access. Like, you can't use any technology. And I wondered, I was like, am I going to feel terrified? Like, I I use social media on my computer for work all day long and also for my own enjoyment. And so it was actually really relieving, I found. Immediately, I felt this sense of kind of relief. I mean, it was harder to kind of find people because <laughs> you can't, like, text and call, and we're so dependent on that. But it was so rejuvenating, and I didn't feel afterwards like I needed to rush back. Exactly. I went to a workshop, same thing. No cell reception, no computers, and I've never felt better afterwards. It was so great. And I think most of it's so habitual. We're just used to waking up in the morning and checking that email or jumping on the computer right away for work. So Mm -hmm. it may be good to develop new habits around how you're using your electronics. Yeah, because as you said, it's a a habit, a routine. So maybe if your routine is you wake up and chill out for even a few minutes before diving in and and all of that. Yeah, that's really huge. I would actually love to ask you about love addiction. Sure. We've never talked about it. We We did do a series on dating a sociopath and... It kind of came up from a couple of experts talking about kind of the dynamic of of people being addicted to the toxic relationship. Uh, But love addiction is not something that we've explored. What exactly is it? And it's interesting. I'll put love addiction in quotes because I don't believe that it is an addiction. I believe that it's more a compulsivity towards love, relationships, or sex. And so it can develop very similarly to an eating disorder or an obsessive compulsive disorder. So there can be uh, obsessions and compulsions around those behaviors. And they can start to build and escalate over time. And it becomes a coping mechanism for something underlying. It can sometimes be early trauma. It can be stress. There can be many things that go on in life that can trigger these compulsive behaviors, and uh, there's a lot of hope for treating them. Like any compulsive behavior, it's behavior containment and really rewiring what has driven the compulsion over time, Mm. and also doing a lot of work around re-educating about love relationships and ideals of love, and we all have these love maps that get set early on in life and sometimes they come from dysfunctional dynamics and bad modeling around what love and relationships and sex should be like. So that's uh, how we work with compulsive behaviors Mm. around love. A lot of good education and reprogramming your love map and your attachment style with another person. So what are the compulsive behaviors? I'm sure they vary between, but is is it sort of feeling the need to keep falling in love with different people? Right. So they're in the three types. Uh, Compulsive behavior around love, it's the feeling of love. So the uh, love becomes almost like a drug that once you're in that relationship or you experience that love, it can create a feeling of euphoria or safety or comfort. But then there's an intimacy disorder often paired with it. So you would think that all of those elements create great connection, but that closeness in the connection sometimes creates some push away from that intimacy and then on to the next feeling of love. That high of passion is what the love uh, addicted person may be chasing. So that uh, would be the compulsion around love. Compulsion around relationships is there is a need to be in relationship 
and there are sometimes underlying feelings of fear around abandonment or isolation or being alone. And so there may be some attachment hunger in that dynamic that that person needs the relationship in order to fill this void from within that may exist from relationship trauma or early life uh, childhood experiences. And then the last compulsion around sex can be that sex also creates a filling of that void. And it can sometimes be a substitute for connection and real intimacy. So the compulsion tends to fill that need and there becomes a, uh, an avoidance of real intimacy and openness in relationships. So sex becomes the substitute for that. And what is the point where somebody comes in to get treatment because I imagine as with eating disorders and all these things usually it has to get pretty you reach a crisis point or maybe is it does it cause a lot of relationship tension absolutely I think for the individual that's saying I have a compulsive issue around love sex or relationships it's creating some level of distress in their life they're either not getting their needs met or they're uh ending relationships and feeling like they're in this pattern that's going on in their life and they want to to change the pattern or that they're meeting the wrong person over and over or that they have a really unhealthy relationship with sex and they want to feel quote unquote normal around sex. So that becomes the first point of, you know, is this something that is a problem? And we evaluate and assess it in a way that feels safe and comforting to a person that may be struggling with those feelings. I love that you said that there are many ways to treat and manage because I feel like hope is such a powerful force and having been through an eating disorder, I know that when you have compulsive behavior, sometimes it feels very hopeless. So what can you tell people about the healing process or what they can expect when they do move forward? Sure. I think especially in our culture, we tend to look at things like love addiction or sex addiction from a very negative perspective. But in treatment, what we want to do is look at it from a sex positive perspective and look at any behavior, whether it be eating or love or relationships, any behavior that feels out of control, we want to create a state of feeling in control and that may be very body-based so we may do a lot of work around emotion regulation and helping to rewire and program the nervous system so that those underlying emotions don't create the compulsivity to choose the behavior that may not be healthy. A lot of it's education, so there may be some pieces in their past where they didn't uh, learn healthy modeling around attachment and relationships and love. And so it can start from a very, you know, I think the therapeutic relationship is really important. I always tell anyone working on any of these issues, it's about a collaboration and a team approach and feeling really good with who you're working with. So if you ever feel that you're being stigmatized or shamed around or having to identify as a sex addict or a love addict and that doesn't fit who you are, then choose someone else and find someone that makes you feel empowered and comfortable around working through something that may be the most difficult thing you're ever going to have to deal with in your life. I love that you said that, that you need to find someone that you feel safe with, uh, because sadly not everyone in our culture is sex positive, so you just never know. Is there a kind of simple way, is there a directory of sex positive um, you know, therapists? 
Uh, you know, I think there there are different organizations, but everyone has a different approach in how we in how we look at these particular compulsive behaviors. I think a lot of it uh, is finding and, and calling and interviewing people and, and seeing what how they would work with it and what's their experience working with compulsive behaviors around love and sex. And so uh, there are great organizations like ASECT. It's the American Association of Sexuality Educators, Counselors, and Therapists. And what I like about that organization is it's big enough to have a lot of diversity and a lot of options for who you may want to work with. And so uh, that's always a good place to start or just doing a, doing a search and finding someone who may work around uh, compulsive behaviors. Absolutely. Beautiful. I know you also specialize in working with conservative religious communities and I respect that so much because there's so much shame for many people around sex because of different religious messages they've received and I wonder you know what what do you kind of advise somebody who comes in with a lot of shame who wants to stay you know keep their faith strong but they have all this kind of shame wrapped up in there right the first thing I do is I teach them that sexuality and spirituality are so interconnected and so they can be very positive in their belief system around their faith and still find a path of healthy sexuality sometimes they feel that they're so divided that it creates a lot of distress and concern uh, and a lot of sex negative messages have been programmed so early on in life and so a lot of it is teaching or finding resources in their faith that fits with where they want to be as a sexual being so mm-hmm. I do a lot of education for these groups and uh, different religious groups and cultures that I think is is very valuable that they're not receiving in their communities yeah it's very needed because as you said y- you can be and hopefully will be a spiritual person however you define that and and embrace your sexuality that's that's really really huge that's huge is it because it can happen so early this programming and I know that sometimes we don't even know that we have shame until you know a layer gets revealed somehow something happens and we go oh my gosh I didn't realize that I feel quote-unquote really naughty or bad or sinful for doing blank even if it's started very, very early and it's super ingrained in you, is that still something that you can reprogram? Absolutely. And I actually just told a client this today that even though these thoughts came from early on, a very shame-based upbringing or, uh, you know, I was raised Catholic, so uh, I remember some of these messages in my own upbringing. And so I tell people that, you know, even though you may not practice those beliefs in, in this in this day and age, you still have them in the back of your mind. And a lot of it's just bringing them to the surface. They may be in your unconscious mind and talking about them. I do a lot of validating. I talk to clients about my own experience with religion and culture and how, uh, you know, those messages shaped my sexuality and my curiosity and maybe triggered going into this field and work. But I think a lot of it's validation. And mm-hmm. The uh, Again, it, it brings us back to the question of am I normal? And uh, I think what we need to do a lot of is say, hey, I get that. You know, I understand. I've had the same concern. Mm-hmm. And so talking through it and bringing them to the surface is really where we start. I love that. I love that. It sounds like you have a really diverse, eclectic, and fulfilling practice and, and work with so many different types of conditions and issues and and all very sex positive what do you most appreciate about your work 
I love the idea of sexual health being connected to overall wellness. And I think for so long, you know, even in my own life, sexual health was looked at as this very small part of your overall uh, health. And I think it's so, I, now I believe it's the core of everything that we do. So what I love most about my work is being able to educate people about the importance of sexual health and that it's much more than reproductive care or what not to do sexually, but it's about who we are as sexual beings and that it looks different for everyone. And I, I love talking about sex and teaching sex because it's one of the most vast fields that we have and we all have it in common you know that's why we're all here and so uh, you know I think it you know can bring a lot of I love seeing the comfort and the release of negative feelings around sex by just talking about it and having a safe space to explore what one or a couple may need sexually. That's mm. you know a very gratifying part of this work and, yeah. and making uh, individuals feel that sexual health is a priority. Absolutely. And I read that you are very passionate about debunking myths and breaking taboos, which I love. Is there one or two particular taboos that you find are just really need to be worked on in our culture? I think there's so many gender-based tattoo, uh, taboos, especially around you know men being these sort of sexual machines that always want sex, and women are more about romance and love. I think those are uh, two especially that I break right away in my practice because uh, you know we start to believe those, and it, it shapes our behavior and, and what we want and ask for sexually. So I uh, like to uh, normalize that women love sex just as much as men, and some men love romance, and they're, uh, you know, more driven towards love behaviors than sex, and that's okay. Where were you when I was, like, 15? <laughs> yeah, I mean, really, I just, I remember feeling so frustrated learning so many, because I hear these weird kind of statistics that are actually just sort of exploited headlines. You know, it gets kind of, like, passed around and taken as fact when there's no evidence behind it or these big generalities and feeling, you know, so guilty for, for being a, a having a sex drive, for example, which is such a normal, beautiful part of ourselves, or having friends who are who identify as, as, as male and who are incredibly sensitive and feel like they can't ex- express that. You know, I think right. that's huge. And you said another one, too, statistics. They drive me crazy, you know, especially, you know, 44% of women have sexual dysfunction. What I uh, tell everyone in my practice is that 100% of us have sexual issues. I'll even say, I have sexual, I've had sexual issues, I have sexual issues. We all do. It's part of being human, and there's nothing to be ashamed about. And there's a lot of great resources and ways to overcome them. And you are in control of that, not a medication or, uh, you know, someone telling you you're dysfunctional. A lot of that just creates more shame and putting these issues more undercover than they need to be. Yeah. And can be so self-fulfilling, too. Yes. I The orgasm statistics have always irked me because... You know, I, <laughs> Good example. I read was something like something crazy, like it was a huge number. I can't remember the specific numbers, like 70, 80, 90 percent of women do not reach orgasm or something. And I just thought if you tell somebody that why I mean, it's going to affect whether or not they can experience pleasure. It's dangerous. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It affects Yeah, how you feel about yourself. And then you say, well, I'm just part of the statistic. That must be my normal. 
Yeah, mm. exactly, exactly. Beautiful. Well, tell us where we can learn more about you. Sure. So you can uh, visit my website, which is www.drshannonchavez.com. And I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all the social media sites. Beautiful. I will be sure to share the, the link. Excellent. Absolutely. Great. And I hope you'll join us again. This was fun. Yes, it was fun. I'll definitely come back. If y'all are enjoying Girlboner Radio, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes so you'll never miss a beat and consider leaving us a simple review while you're there. For my blog, links to the books, some show extras, and a whole lot more, visit augustmclaughlin.com. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. <laughs>